we're gonna go ahead and get started. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hope everybody can see. Are you guys back there? there? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay, well, welcome. Good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started because we have so much to say today. So we appreciate um, everyone taking the time out. I know some of you stated you have to head out and um, do other things. So um, thank you at least for being here. Um, for those that do or don't know, um, I am LaDonna Reed. I've been a member here for about five or six years. And I'm Mark Kipp. I've been here for about a year and a half. And so um, we have been tasked with a group of individuals to talk about a topic that can be um, challenging, um, to say the least. We do know we are not going to solve the world's problems in this class, but from some of the discussion that some people have shared, they've mentioned that they've brought this home to spouses and coworkers, and it's lighting a little fire inside them to do some thinking. So if that um, alone, what you shared with me today, just sheds light that um, what we're doing is not going in vain. And of course, we know it's helping us here all grow. Um, for all of the class, each time we've led the class, we want to keep reemphasizing, um, just like Baruch and um, Tony did and Gina and Eric did, that we have some goals for the class. One, to make sure that um, we are doing this out of love. And so I just wanted to read a verse to start off with John 13, 34, 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So we want to keep that in mind as you're thinking of things to say, comments to share about. Obviously, we want you to listen, um, come at come to this class with that in mind, making sure you're having that um, as the forefront of what you're doing. Um, we definitely want you to feel comfortable about asking questions. Um, earlier in the beginning, uh, while we were setting up, someone did mention too that this has been a great setting to be able to say, hey, I, I have a question about this and about a cultural perspective, and you're not feeling um, threatened or you're not feeling uncomfortable about it. Um, again, I'm only one voice speaking for so many, but I am trying to share what um, people that walk my feet um, are expressing. So we do want you to feel comfortable to ask those questions. And last but not least, think and feel. Um, this is a hard subject at times to talk about. And if you think about it, not any other different than any other topic that Eddie or anyone else might be preaching about. Sometimes you're hearing things that sounds like, someone's just stepped on your foot a little bit, and that's okay because of, out of that uncomfortability, growth happens. So. And speaking of questions, uh, throughout this whole series, we're gonna ask this question to members and, uh, and friends. Um, how can we as a church improve our diversity? Um, and we'd like to hear back from you, even now, if you have any, any ideas, any any more questions on this? Any comments on how we can improve our diversity within the class? We don't want to get complacent with saying, hey, we're doing okay already. Well, we may be doing okay, but we can always improve that. So we'd like to hear from you. Even now, if you don't have anything to say, come to us later. Um, talk to us later on this. But this is a question we want to continually ask throughout this series. Does anyone so, want to shed light? about the question being raised, how can we improve diversity here at Eastside? 
We can give you a moment to ponder on it. <laughs> we can wait in about a hundred years. It's possible that our community here, the neighborhood, will be more diverse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Outside of waiting, now I do know um, a lot of people do say, we know that Colorado Springs may not look like other towns and cities. There are people of color here. There are different ethnicities here. Um, you may live in a neighborhood that you don't even realize there's someone down the street that may not have your same color of skin, but we, there are people here. So anybody else have any input on this question that's in front of you? I think something you've said is a key to it. You might not know someone in your own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. and that's really true. We live, a lot of us in houses with alleys, <clears throat> get in our car and drive out of our neighborhood and do things other places. And, you know, things start at home and close to home. Mm -hmm. And if we work to know our neighbors to be, maybe do some things in your front yard instead of your fence backyard, things like that, that's yeah. probably starting place. Very yeah, good. Very good, good response. Very good. Thank well, you. The verse that you shared at first too is loving each other. I mean, and that's that's how the community knows um, that we're open mm -hmm. to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I would say not just uh, racial diversity, but diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so just making it work. Yeah. People can feel welcome here, not just those that agree with us politically and socially exactly. and all that. Exactly. Since we all agree on everything politically. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Let's. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Fannie Mae Duncan. Some of you, if you grew up in Colorado Springs, you may know who she was. Uh, about a year ago, LaDonna, Jolay, and I were able to attend a presentation um, at the Pike Speak Center on Fannie Mae Duncan. Uh, in the 1950s, she was a uh, black businesswoman, entrepreneur, one of the first female black businesswomen and entrepreneurs in Colorado Springs. She had the idea that she wanted to create a, a place for people to come and enjoy one common um, interest, jazz, music. So she created the Cotton Club. Um, and she her motto was, everybody was welcome. The Cotton Club was opened up about uh, it was just south of the Pikes Peak Center, right around that area. Uh, in the 1950s, she wanted uh, everybody of every race to come in, enjoy uh, different music from bands or some groups like uh, Etta James and uh, Count Basie, Billie Holiday, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong. Uh, some of you young people may have to look those names up. But, uh, <laughs> um, her, her motto was, everybody's welcome. She wanted everybody to come in no matter what race. And even though in Colorado Springs was a progressive state, um, there was still a lot of racist comment, co controversy and everything. She had a, a little uh, um, problem with the chief of police. He didn't like the mixing of the races. So she actually had an agreement with him that if, she, if they didn't give her any problems with opening of this club, she would then alert him to any wanted criminals that may have come into the, into the club. So she, she opened it up in the 1950s. It was very successful. Like I said, she was one of the uh, um, first successful black businesswomen in Colorado Springs. I just want to jump in really quick. I'm sorry this image is a little blurry, but um, 
in this picture, Fannie Mae had went to an ice cream parlor um, here in town in Colorado Springs in the 50s, and they didn't particularly like her because of the color of her skin. And so when she opened up her own cotton club, she actually went back and purchased the entire ice cream parlor marble countertops, which is what you're seeing her family sit at. So she wasn't welcome to eat in the ice cream parlor there, so instead when she opened that up, she purchased the entire <laughs> counter. That's right. <laughs> um, when she started this, she never wanted to be a civil rights activist. But after um, starting the Cotton Club and showing people that everybody of different races can come together and enjoy something common, um, she actually did become uh, an activist in a way. Um, and now, in the next probably a year, I think, they're going to honor her with a statue in front of the Pike Speak Center. Oh, nice. So the sign in front of it will say "Everybody's Welcome." Everybody's Welcome. There we go. So that will be right there. Which I think is something that we should adopt ourselves in this class. In this. Last time I was at the Pioneer Museum, there's a really good exhibit about her in the second floor. Okay. So, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, because I. I don't know, but were the schools and everything segregated? We, in we were integrated at that time. At that time, we were in Colorado Springs. We were in integrated 50s. in the 50s. We, they had integrated the schools and everything. Wow, so, so we were a progressive. We were still a progressive state, mm -hmm. but we still had issues. There are still <clears throat> racial issues. Um, Camp Carson, in fact. Which is Fort Carson. Which is Fort Carson, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they didn't want, they didn't like the idea either of mixing the races in one, one club. And neither did the chief of police. Um, he had a problem with it, but like I said, she worked out a deal with the chief of police that said, hey, let's do this. Don't give me any problems, and I'll alert you to anybody that's wanted. Yeah. And it worked out. So this next uh, section we're going to talk about is something I endured in the fifth grade. Some people, most of you probably don't know about it. I think even when we met with our group um, talking about this, I kept telling Mark, I, I should probably tell them about this incident. And it kind of came to light, and so I'm now going to share it. Um, in the fifth grade, <coughs> as many fifth graders do, I'm, I'm walking home after school. I've got my backpack um, full of books. And uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And so I remember seeing these four boys walking towards me. Um, they were all white. And I didn't think anything of it. And before I realized um, what was taking place, I had been hit. And so I fell to the ground. I was called every kind of racial name you can think of. They called me Dark Monkey. They called me words that I probably can't repeat now. Most of you would be uncomfortable about it. And I was spit at multiple times and kicked. And so I endured a racial attack there in California, walking home. <clears throat> Um, it was traumatic because I just kept thinking while it was taking place, what is happening? I, I don't understand what is happening. I remember blocking, um, they had a belt, that one of them had a belt with triangle, um, metal triangle pieces yeah. on it. And I still have marks on my wrist from trying to block them. And I remember them, <coughs> and these are teenagers, okay? Not men or anything, but teenagers. and. A car was coming down the road and they took off running. 
and I just remember thinking, okay, I can hear the car. My backpack somehow got opened and books are spread everywhere. And I just thought this is gonna be the help I've been waiting. And the car that went by, I remember looking up, my I've got blood coming down my face. Um, and he rolls the window down and says, you probably deserved it and drove away. And I just remember thinking, okay, I've got to get my books. They're in um, people at the time. I remember uh, the plants were ice plants. I don't know if anybody knows what those are, but they were ice plants that my, my papers had been thrown in. So I got my books together. I walked in. Um, my mom was in this kitchen cooking. And right when she saw me, when I pushed the screen door open, I fell down. I just, out of exhaustion, collapsed. Mm -hmm. And I, to this day, remember my mom grabbing the kitchen towel and just taking off running like she was just going to beat somebody down. Mm -hmm. And of course, they weren't there. I was a mile or so away from when it took place. So my mom had to clean my wounds, had to heal me. <coughs> and uh, she called 911, and they said they would be sending out an officer um, about this report. And it took a while. And I remember being terrified to repeat the words back. Um, to my mom, you know, do I say the cuss words that they said? Do I say these these really hateful things? And my mom had to tell me, it's okay, you're, <coughs> you won't be in trouble. So as a police officer came in, he's interviewing my mom in the kitchen, and I thought, I know that voice. I know I know that voice. Uh -oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. So he came over and sat down. I didn't have a clear picture of the person that was in the car, but I know the voice. So here is this officer interviewing me. I know to this day he was the same person that was in that car that I drove by that told me I deserved it. I had recently, um, a couple years ago, wrote a book about the incident. <laughs> and it got published here in the Pikes Peak region. Um, it was women writing on social injustice. They had my picture on the front of it. Um, in 2004, I wrote another short story and one again and was published. Um, I had printed out copies that I'll have to lay in a little bit uh, <coughs> of that story. Um, but the story's titled, I Am Somebody, I'm Somebody. My mom had to teach me after that incident not to carry that hate with me because I can imagine what I would be, um, <coughs> be like today, let alone marrying a white man <laughs> many years later. But it taught me that these teenage boys were taught that hate. They somehow were taught that um, maybe in the home, maybe things they picked up. I don't think we had the internet as used back in 1885, but <laughs> um, that's just something that I definitely endured and from that had to grow out of that hateful issue. How did your mom help you feel from that? We definitely, my mom was a strong Christian woman um, that had to talk about how people hated Jesus and how he always showed love. And I just remember she was always finding these little ways, these little nuggets to sneak in um, Bible verses <coughs> and things that would definitely help me to understand that. I was scared and terrified. Walking home since the fifth grade, my mom always stood out on the street um, for me to come home. And it was kind of embarrassing because I'm in junior high and my mom's out there on the corner you know watching me walk home and I'd make up stories with people telling them oh she's just out checking the mail and she happened to be out there when I'm walking home all the time <laughs> um, they never found those boys 
and the town of Santa Maria that I grew up in was very small, so um, it was a case report written and nothing else pretty much stated about it. But definitely my mom taught us, like we weren't allowed to say, oh, I hate something. She'd say, oh, you dislike what you don't, you know. Even to this day, when my daughters are like, oh, I hate broccoli. No, you dislike it. We, I don't even allow them to say the word. So that's just something we have in our family. I just wanted to share that with you. And like I said, I'll have delay in a little bit, hand out those papers. Um, this next video, I may have you turn the lights off, is um, a person here in town got um, interviewed by the ABC News. And this is here in Colorado Springs. So we're just going to show this for you. My name is Michael Kent. I'm over here at Fallen Heroes to get a swastika covered up. I've never, never, never been in a, inside of a tattoo shop getting a professional tattoo. It's a lot different than the prison style. One, it's not done with guitar strings. It's painful. Yes, but it's going to be worth it. Tell me your story. Behind that shirt in the lot, I mean. I was part of a skinhead group. I'm very young. My first tattoo, the racial tattoo, was my white pride when I got two swastikas, one on my chest. How long have you had that on your chest? Over 20 years. Talk about that transformation process. This is kind of a good story, but odd story. I got my caseload transferred to a black woman. She just marched up to my house. If it wasn't for her, I probably would have been deep back in you feel like she became much more than a probation officer? Yes, she's much more than that. So I look at her as family. I'm Tiffany Whittier. I haven't seen him in over a year. He doesn't know that I'm here with him. Hi. Hi, Get the lights back on. 
<clears throat> so we just wanted to show that um, here in Colorado Springs, an individual is interviewed by ABC News, um, having something like that transform his life around, living in a world where he hated people because of the way they were, because of their religious beliefs or their upbringings. Um, there's more to that. That's just a short clipping of it. But he definitely had hatred in his heart. And to have someone, a person of color, a black woman, um, be able to change his life around in that story um, was very impactful. So I just wanted to show that to you. And talking about, um, we went back and forth as to whether we were going to actually talk about this. This is the, the photo on the right is, is someone I've known for a long time. Just recently, he had a new tattoo, and he posted this on Facebook. You can see he's got the swastika, he's got the crosses. I want to show this because I want to talk to you about how your decisions, how bad decisions can affect and be perceived by other people. According to his Facebook page, his intention was the original meaning of a swastika. Swastika has been around for centuries. The original meaning was good fortune and well-being. And of course, since the 1930s, that meaning changed because of Hitler and the uh, Nazi. Um, Nazi. He's saying he's trying to bring back the good fortune and well-being. But of course, I can see by everybody's faces, that's not what you're thinking at all. And the reason <coughs> excuse me, we went back and forth on this is this person he knows, his original intent is, I'm showing the world that it's good fortune and unity. So if you see the swastika on me, I'm trying to portray its original meaning. But what he's showing to the world is something different. And the reason we brought this up is because there are people we know, people out in the community, <coughs> people here at church that are showing and believing by their actions or their words one thing but you're showing the world something else and so um, again <coughs> we've done a lot of research um, <laughs> about it and it's original <coughs> it's, it's been around for centuries the symbol has been around for centuries. Even in India, it's still used as a, um, a spiritual symbol. But in our culture, our, most countries do not see that. They don't, they don't know that. They, know, they just recognize it as a symbol of Nazi regime and of uh, anti-Semitism, racism, hatred. Um, so... That's why we wanted to bring that up to you, is, is how your actions, your, what you do and show to other people affect everybody. The perceptions that people have of what you do are different, and you've got to think about that. Um, is that something that everybody would do? No. I mean, so. I have a, another example. I have someone I work with that will say underlying to me the racist undertones and her caveat will be well I was just I was born in Kansas I grew in a small town so she'll use an excuse of why she said something so vile to me 
But in her mind, it's, well, I grew up in a small town. That's just kind of how we all thought. And so, again, <coughs> this conversation on diversity and inclusion um, initially was by the, the small group of us that met. It was very difficult to initially talk about. And we wanted to make sure those that said, well, you know, hey, I'm sitting here. I'm not a racist. You, can, you can't be pointing that finger at me, LaDonna and Mark. Like, that's not me. You may be saying things that you don't realize how you're portraying. This gentleman who is portraying this large swastika on his chest believes, well, every time people see it, they must be thinking unity. And it's, I mean, in Mesopotamia and Persia, you can, they use the same symbol. It's been around for centuries. I disagree. I question for you, yeah. Mark. Do you think he really believes that? I, in a sense, I do because I've known I've never known him to have any racist tendencies, but I can't really change because I haven't I have I can't really comment on that now because I haven't talked to him in in several years. Okay. I, just, I got that from his face. This was from a Facebook post. It seems kind of ingenuous. It seems like yeah. It, I agree. It may, I, I'm not. I'm not even saying he's. You know. I agree. Certainly not saying he's a Nazi or anything like that. But is he trying to get attention? Is he, he could be. Um, from what I've known from him from past, from past, yeah. I mean that that attention, that controversy, he kind of would would uh, be into, um, but. Yeah. If he is sincere, that is the biggest example I've ever seen of good intentions for execution. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. You put those words I mean, very eloquently. I did not say that. Like, how dumb can you be? But yeah. yes, that's. I, I think it does bring an important conversation into being responsible for intentions and impact. Mm -hmm. It's intentions and impact. Right. Um, and so sometimes we. Um, will excuse maybe poor behavior or uh, comments or things by saying uh, or, or let people off the hook very quickly exactly they will state their intention right but you don't measure everything by just intentions you must measure them exactly yeah. very good very good in the back over there and it's both ways and, and I go to Zambia and I ask for I'm going to stick someone's finger for blood and I ask in, in Tonga for a finger and they will give me the bird because to them, that's not something. Right. <laughs> so when you say you may be doing something that is taking away, we, we're, there's so many cultures in here. Yeah. I'm from Colorado. I was not from the South. So my husband's from Nashville. So there are many things that I'm going, what? I, I never knew that. Mm -hmm. And so when you bring some Southern people in, I could literally do something that has no racial at all because I just was not, I would never have seen it. So it's, so it's gotten both ways. There has to be a point of grace, yeah. I think, of saying, was that racially intended? And like, I wouldn't have thought that. Now, once I learned that it was, you know, you can, you can say, oh, I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't know, but I wouldn't know unless I'm told. Right. So, here. The yep. swastika. That that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, out there thing yeah, to do. Exactly. It, yeah. It's very much one that it would make everybody think. But like in Texas, where I grew up, the similar thing 
would be the Confederate flag. Yep. I mean, you can ask somebody, why would you fly the Confederate flag? Number one, you've lost. You're a loser. So don't <laughs> but they, they say, oh, well, I'm just, I'm proud of the South. I'm proud of Texas. I'm proud of being a Southerners. But to most people, the Confederate flag signifies a time of racism. And that's what you're projecting to people, that you are racist. supporting it. looking at that Confederate flag thinking, <laughs> Oh, he's so proud to be a Southern. Yeah, Southern, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. You know, and it's tough. Yep, thank right. you. Yeah, so having grown up in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, mm -hmm. in the cradle of the Confederacy, as it was known, uh, I went to Robert E. Lee High School, and the a large portion of everything we did revolved around Confederacy. Um, my class ring actually has a Confederate flag. In the base of it, under the stone, so that you can see it. I don't actually wear the ring anymore because I've grown and matured and realized that you know, that that had a different meaning when I was a kid. Um, to me, it had a different meaning. I don't think it had a different meaning to a lot of people, but um, it's part of the culture. But having come out of that culture and look back at some of that stuff, I. I'm not going to say that I'm ashamed, but I was very ignorant. They say that ignorance is bliss. Well, ignorance mm -hmm. is only bliss to the one who is ignorant. <laughs> very good. I like that. Yeah. Very good. I'm a Westerner, so learning all of this was interesting to me, but I love history. And I think one thing that everyone ought to know about the Confederate flag is number one, it's not the Confederate flag, it's the Confederate flag is not. It's the war flag or something yeah. like that. And that Confederate flag did not come out predominantly until the 1960s. It, and it was a racial thing. Mm -hmm. before, before the 1960s, the flag was, the Confederate flag was a different flag. The flag that was fought on the Confederacy was not that bars. That one came out in the 1960s. But that is not history that was taught in public school. Correct. No. Correct. <laughs> I mean, but what, I'm, but what I'm saying is, yes. just like flipping the finger and the bird, I mean, learn, learn really is it, because if you're going to say I'm, I'm proud of my um, Southern heritage, well, learn about your Southern heritage, the true Southern heritage, and if you want to honor that, fly the Confederate flag, not the one that was, not the I think it was the war flag, I think it's called the war flag. The battle flag. The battle flag, okay. I mean, not the battle flag that did not even, wasn't even used until the 1960s and it was really up a race. Okay, thank you for sharing. Anybody else? No? Okay. Um, <coughs> we asked this question last time. How many of you are having these conversations since the class began um, with your spouses at home? Uh, maybe even with a coworker or a neighbor. We just want to see by a show of hands again how many of you have been having uh, conversations about it. Yeah. Okay. Good. And again, the whole point is to open up dialogue and to open up conversations. You may agree to disagree with the person that you're having this with. Mark and I agreed to disagree <laughs> to a point last night about his friend because I kept saying, I can't wait till I meet him to <laughs> have some questions for him. So um, that's kind of where we're at. We want to make sure our church is moving forward, opening up the dialogue. Um, since I've been here, we've had special guests that 
um, I've been very impressed with seeing the church bring in and even with the last uh, speaker we had to have this class with Don McLaughlin to bring in and talk about um, diversity and inclusion it's an eye-opener and so I think we're all getting little um, healthy nuggets of things to think about and challenge um, two weeks ago um, Matt and the praise team had led a song um, that we hadn't that I hadn't heard in a while and I kept thinking I'm wondering I'm, I'm nudging Mark I'm like I feel like something about that song just got to me I don't know if it's my mom was humming it in the house when she was home there I know I know this song and so Matt came up to me and he did say did anything strike <coughs> did anything resonate with you and I said yes the last few songs you've sung have been different I can't put my finger on it but I want to know what it is and he says you're right um, I believe because our church is opening up the conversation about diversity and inclusion, I specifically went to look for an African-American songwriter or hymnal who is Sylvia Rose. To know that our praise team specifically <coughs> picked a song written by an African-American woman who is part of the Church of Christ. Um, the video that I, um, we didn't put it in here because it was 10 minutes long, but in the beginning, she says, well, everyone knows the best acapella singers are from the Church of Christ. <laughs> and so she wrote this song um, <coughs> that says, verse one, restore my spirit, Lord, I need restored. My heart is weary. Please help me, dear Lord. I stand in need of more strength from your word. Renew my love. Rebuild my faith. Oh, restore my soul. Second. Revive the fire, Lord, deep in my soul. Won't you please, Lord, stir my desire to work in your fold, light in my heart. Dear God, your zeal grown cold, renew my love. Rebuild my faith, oh, restore my soul. And the last verse says, renew my courage, Lord, it needs restored. My cup is empty, refill it, dear Lord. Replace all doubts and fears with faith so bold. Renew my love, rebuild my faith, oh, restore my soul. How many of you remember two weeks ago singing that song? Were you here for church? Okay, well, I think this is a symbol, an action, and a step to show not only are we having these conversations here in our classes, um, even if you were at church or heard Eddie um, talking last Sunday, a lot of it mirrored the stuff that we had been talking about in the class. I kept thinking, we tell them we said it first. Make sure we tell them we said it first in the class. But um, we had not met with Eddie. <laughs> but it was ironic that he was talking about um, inviting people to church and people that are from different walks of life and so forth. So it just really tied in. Um, are there any questions or comments? Overlook anybody? I wanted to say... Um, I actually forgot to talk about this on Fannie Mae Duncan, but there was a verse that I wanted to bring up. Uh, Romans 15, 7. Uh, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Again, uh, I think that fits in well with what we're trying to bring across in this class and for everybody to bring that out into the world and uh, just welcome people and bring people in and um, have them enjoy a commonality worshiping Christ. So. I think um, I'll repeat it again. <coughs> when we had our panel discussion on the stage at church, um, I had made the comment that my mom would always say, you need to be sharing with your friends and relatives about your faith because 
don't think you're so bold that you're the only one that gets to go to heaven. You should be reaching out to those neighbors and coworkers. And so <coughs> if it's not something that you normally do, um, work with one another so we can break that barrier down. Um, being from a military background and a very diverse group of friends, for me, I go through periods where I'm like, where are my Laotian friends? Oh, I miss my Filipino friends. Oh, I haven't seen my Korean friends this week. I have such a diverse group of people. Um, some of that was my personality, but some of that was I had to seek out these people here in our Colorado Springs, because they are here, um, to do that. And so if you take that step to open up doors, our church could look possibly like that first picture we had in the beginning where people just look different and that's what we know because God created them all um, <coughs> right on time so the last thing we wanted to read was a quote from Maya Angelou a famous African American writer and poet and she says hate it has caused a lot of problems in the world but it has not solved one yet so we want to have that um, for you to be thinking of that in mind and <coughs> we do appreciate you again listening to our uh, two classes that we've had. Some of it as we've sat at the dinner table and, and discussions, having it has been, you know, we get nervous to say, can we say this? You know, we want <coughs> to get across um, really what the heart of everything yeah. is, and it comes back to love. And so I'll have Jolay pass around that um, story that I had wrote that's called I'm Somebody. And is there any questions anybody has or comments? Any comments? I think next weekend, uh, Brenda, are you? Brenda and Tony will be uh, <coughs> teaching. What's the topic that you guys? Uh, it's uh, my experience as a first-time generation Latina. Okay. Perfect. So hopefully everybody. Yes. I just wanted to make one comment. I really appreciate what Benita said um, because I mean we all we all grew up different culturally, and sometimes we're very ignorant of things we might be saying or what we might be doing. But I just really appreciate when you say once we know, then it's important to change. I mean, it's I I think it's fine once to say, oh wow, I didn't know that, but. The point is that now, now that I know that it's um, that it's not a compliment to an African American woman to tell her she looks too young to have children, <laughs> which never would have occurred to me. I will make it a point to never say that again. <laughs> Actually, does not limit that to one uh, race. Okay. 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 So, I don't think there's a white woman that has a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't have a problem. With that. Well, I think it's like my Angela's other quote, you know, you do, you do as good as you can until you know better, and once you know better, you do better. And I think, especially as Christians, Jesus took us as we were, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to have a deeper relationship with him. And that applies to our daily lives with everyone we interact with. We meet them where they are, mm -hmm. and then we grow deeper. Mm -hmm. And so if LaDonna tells me that what I just said was offensive or not 
kind, then I need to take it as, okay, I need to do better. I need to learn about that because I love Lenon. I, need, I want to be in fellowship with her. And so then it's on me to become educated about, oh, why is this offensive? Why should I not ever say this again? Uh, but I think it's Jesus put that example for us, that when we love people, we put that first. Thank you. That's excellent. And any other, any other comments? comments? Yeah, I have a comment. Uh, first of all, I want to say all Texans are not racist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing Belinda because she's not bringing The other thing is I think we need to be careful about how we wear our feelings on our shoulder and dare people to knock it off. I, I think we need to sometime look at the, the source and say, that person, here's what they really meant. It may have come out weird for me. Uh, you know, I'll, some people can say, well, for your age, you look very nice. <laughs> you know, and I would look at it, they're not really being rude to me. Mm -hmm. it, I need to be careful about how I'm interpreting it and how I'm, what I'm coming from uh, to accept what they say to me. And I do just want to say to clarify for those that weren't in the other class, when I had used the comment about someone saying I look too young to have children, um, it wasn't, for most people it is a wonderful compliment because they're complimenting me that I look youthful and young and yes, I take it for what it was, but it was the follow-up conversations of, you know, you must have been on welfare and you must have started really young and you must have did this out of wet. That was the, the really intent of why. I used that example initially. It wasn't because they said I look young. I do look young. I told you it's in my jeans. It's not going to change, and I love it. Um, but it was more of the, wow, I feel sorry for you, you young girl that started too young to have kids and so forth. That was the underlying intent and the they comments. They wrote your story for you, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so um, we are, I think, out of time. We're going to have Scott. Uh, Scott, would you mind saying a closing prayer? Prayer for us. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for this congregation uh, that earnestly seeks your will, even in two places where uh, in our current day, our current culture, these are difficult and contentious issues uh, given our past. And we're trying to move past. Uh, Father, we're reminded of 1 Corinthians 13 when uh, Paul's talking about we love each other despite differences and despite the things that come between you because Jesus said that they will know us better. So Father, help us to, in all things, consider what we're showing the world because that is our purpose. So help us this week to think about what we say, what we do, and how other people will see. And just say we pray. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission 
of making disciples of all nations.